0: Hey, everyone. It's another holiday chat call, and I'm here today with Richard. Uh, Richard, Merry Christmas. Are you in the season yet or what? Are you in the spirits of the season?
1: Well, not quite. Uh, I think I will be by tomorrow. But uh, yeah, you know, Christmas is one of my favorite times of year, so I'm enjoying it. Awesome. So what did you want to talk about today? Well, I, I just wanted to uh, really bounce a uh, you know, business idea of a professional like yourself. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, see if you have any observations, any any comments about what to look out for. Okay. Uh, if you have any experience uh, with this type of stuff, um, you know, I'd love to hear your take on it. Okay. So, what are you thinking about getting into? Well, um, first, a little bit about me. I live near uh, Windsor, Ontario. Okay. Uh, I'm uh, retired from the Navy in a middle management position. You know, I have pensions and savings, so. I'm one of the uh, target uh, um, audiences from uh, <laughs> from your book, Franchise Mornings. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I recognize that. I accept it. I'm really glad I read the book, by the way. Good. Um, I also, uh, you know, I have um, a son in his 20s, early 20s in British Columbia, which, you know, that could uh, factor into the, the exit plan for me. I'm um, in my mid-50s. Um, I'm also part owner of a uh, software startup company uh, from uh, back about five or six years ago. Um, it was a high risk venture. Um, I, I'm still there. We've never been able to crack the, the software to make it uh, usable uh, to share over the internet, but we're almost there now. So um, I'm bringing that up only because I don't want to be uh, um, stuck under contract um, with, uh, you know, one thing. Uh, if, if this, you know, develops uh, at all. Okay. Um, but I do really like this business that I'm looking at now. And um, just so you know, I have some business rela- uh, related education, but it's it's dated. Um, so I, I definitely don't consider myself uh, an experienced business person by uh, any stretch of the imagination. Okay. Um, so the business the business is uh, an importer of high-end uh, specialty foods, uh, mostly from Europe, meats and cheeses. Um, they've been in business for eight years. Um, they've got a small location, uh, two thousand square foot, square, square foot uh, warehouse, uh, about uh, three hours east of Toronto. Okay.
0: Um,
1: as far as I can tell, there's you know four employees, uh, including the owner and director, who uh, Split their time between Canada and Europe, uh, so they're managing the business here, but they're over there uh, seeking contracts uh, and sources of, uh, of product and entering into ex- exclusivity uh, agreements. Um, they're also so, so they
0: get the exclusive right to import certain foodstuffs into Canada.
1: Correct. Okay. Uh, so their suppliers uh, will not sell to anybody else except them for the Canadian market. Uh, okay. And it's. It's really high-end stuff. It's expensive. Um, you're talking a, a, a round of cheese that's uh, you know a little bigger than a dinner plate, uh, going for uh, more than two thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, they, they they call it um, rare and precious food, um, and it really is high-end, high quality, super high quality. Um, uh, they're they're not in the U.S. market at all. Just the Canadian market. Um, they're uh, they're advertising for franchisees um, and just a few weeks ago as I understand it, they put out the ad for franchisees um, I would be the very first one they don't have any locations uh, anywhere um, I talked uh, to the owner in fact I, I visited their uh, warehouse um, very nice people uh, you know I'd love to be able to do business with them um, I talked about you know licensing as opposed to franchisees because you know a franchise is more of a uh, an established business with you know uh, all the the you know paint by numbers type of thing. Uh, I don't know if they have that. Um, I suspect they don't. I'm not sure. Um, you know, the business man, the operations manual with with all the uh, details. Um, But if they do, it's not been tested in my market, for sure, um, being the only one.
0: So I'd like to understand more about this franchise. So that they want you to open a retail store and they're going to be your supplier of these European foods. Is that it?
1: Um, Not necessarily a retail store. Um, What I will do is I will pick up the food at the airport in a refrigerated vehicle and deliver it to customers.
0: And do they already have customers in your area?
1: I don't think so. Uh, they're, I, I don't know yet where their customers are, but I do know they do most of their business in the greater Toronto area. Hmm. And uh, what they do is they, they fly the food in uh, from your lands in Montreal, get shipped to their warehouse, uh, and then they uh, put it on a flight to Toronto, and they have uh, final mile delivery people uh, pick it up and uh, deliver it to their customers. So the company does all the marketing uh, for um, the Toronto area and maybe other places too. Um, but if I were to do this um, business where I live, and it's a big t- uh, territory from you know London, Ontario to Windsor. Um, uh, I would solicit customers, try to get customers, uh, mostly, uh, wholesale customers, especially food shops, high end restaurants, um, things like that. Um, I would place the order, uh, they would fly it into, uh, London or Windsor. I go out with my delivery van and I pick it up and deliver to the customers. And that's the basic, uh, uh, principle there. The, the business model, I think is going to be, uh, okay, I, I buy it at a set price from them and I sell it at a set price to the, the end user and my markup will you know be my revenue.
0: So it's uh, basically like, it's a route business like the bread man or the potato chip man.
1: Uh, yeah, um, kind of, I, I, I'm not clear yet as to whether I can market and sell to uh, uh, private homes. And I say I'm not clear because, um, in, in the advertising material that they put out, I can, but uh, I got a dealer agreement, uh, and a franchise agreement, um, that's not consistent with that. So I have to get that kind of stuff cleared up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have a minimal staff and, and when I have looked through, uh, franchise agreements in the past and, uh, you, they're usually, um, you know, very structured and, and very uh, uh, overpowering. Uh, this is a little overpowering, uh, but um, uh, it, it's certainly not structured. You know, things are called different names in different places. So I get the impression that they, you know, didn't put a lot of time into it, uh, which I think is a good thing. Uh, I, I think uh, after talking to the owner, uh, you know, they're more interested in, in expanding the business and uh, doing all the good things of business. And uh, I think the document is kind of put together by, uh, you know, lawyers, of course, uh, who didn't certainly pay a lot of attention to detail like uh, like an owner would. Mm. Uh, that, that's my impression. I don't know that for sure. That's just from what I read, the inconsistencies and in the naming. Um, and, and I like that. I think that's a good thing. What, what
0: do you know about the market for the, I mean, you talked, you mentioned a wheel of cheese, the size of a plate for two grand. I mean, what, what is the market like for these rare and expensive foods in Windsor?
1: Right. Yeah. You know, I, I did not uh, do any market research to, to speak of. I mean, I looked around at all the potential customers, um, any competition in the area. I did that, but I, you know, I didn't do focus groups or, um, or email campaigns or uh, talk to especially food stores, um, but they do have a, uh, you know, a, a robust market in Toronto. Um, where I live, especially in uh, the Leamington and Kingsville area of Ontario, there's a lot of money. Um, so there's a lot of wineries uh, that are here that, uh, you know, cater to um, you know the, the the people that go there are willing to spend the money, so I, I think there could be a market. Not sure
0: what sort of investment are they looking for for you to have this franchise.
1: Well, well, that's that's the beauty. It's low. Uh, they have a fee franchising or licensing, whatever you call it. It's fifteen thousand, and I have to buy a um, a uh, Sprinter uh, Ford Transit type van and have it upfitted for for reefer. Um, and that could be about $80,000 uh, for a new van. And then there are options there to uh, to lease as well. And I have to buy a commercial fridge to start off. Um, that's about, you know, up to 15000 that I can put in my garage, uh, in, in my home. And uh, I have the space, and uh, they're okay with that. And I, I can use that for high, high turnover type items. But uh, uh, the, the stuff comes from Europe uh, right to the, uh, the airport, uh, you know, and on the, uh, the customer's doorstep in less than a week, usually five days. Um, so at the beginning, there's no need for a warehouse, but eventually I'll have to get awareness. Well, have you,
0: um, you know, what is, what is the markup or margin like in this stuff? For you? That I don't know
1: yet. Uh, I got to get all those details, and I mean it would have to work, or I wouldn't do it. Um, and that's where I'd I'd need an accountant to do the uh, to do the math and the cash flow and all that stuff. Uh, but it would have to work, and and I trust that the uh, the owners uh, you know factored that in if they're looking for uh, um, uh, franchisees. So um, uh, those details I have to uh, be worked out. The royalties are are six percent. And there's an option in there for a one percent advertising fund down the road. Um,
0: yeah, it you know the, the fact that you're the first one. I mean, this is this makes it a little bit shaky, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's not been a proven concept anywhere. Correct. They they have their business, which presumably we could say is making money if they've been in, in business for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, they're enjoying the full margin, you know, the full profit that they make on bringing the food in and reselling it. But presumably they're going to wholesale it to you with some kind of markup. And then they're going to take 6% of your sales.
1: I know that they're going to take 6% of the sales and gross sales, but I don't know about the, uh, the markup to me.
0: Okay. So, and so this, this is the kind of, Stuff that would be important to know, and I, and you mentioned having an accountant do a work on the cash flow for you, but I would, I would recommend that you do it. Um, simply, here's what I'm imagining in my head: is okay if you know that if you sell a thousand dollars worth of goods, that you're going to make a certain amount of money. Say it's five hundred dollars. Let's say that twenty five percent is your gross margin. And so I would be curious, what does $1,000 worth of stuff look like? Is it, uh, you know, a banana box size amount of inventory or is it a full van load size box, you know, amount of inventory? Like, like how big would that be and how much stuff would I be handling on a regular basis? Uh, what sort of volume, both in, in weight and material, as well as dollars am I handling? And then, you know, what would my earnings be on those sales? Would that be enough to cover the lease payment on this transit a van and for me to take a salary, et cetera? And so my guess is that you would end up at arriving at a figure where you would have to be doing like 250, 300,000 a year in sales just to, to meet these minimum kind of thresholds. And then, then the question would be, how many doors do you have to knock on to start selling that kind of volume? Right? Because now you're talking about uh, you know, $25,000 a month worth of stuff. And, and that's where I asked, what do you think the market's like? So, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert in this kind of cuisine. I don't know these foodstuffs at all, but I know that in my town, there's a couple of little charcuterie deli kind of places that have, you know, fancy stuff, you know, uh, different cheeses and things like this. And while I haven't gone there, I presume there's imported stuff from different places around the world. And so that would be the kind of thing that I would be looking at, you know, because you could probably easily find out if there's a market in your town for maybe not the $2,000 cheese, but maybe if there's a market for the $400 cheese, maybe you could find it somewhere in a shop and see that they are in fact selling it. Right. Um, To me, volume would be the thing, you know, if they're over near Toronto, and they're selling over there. Well, you know that's millions upon millions of people, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's a very tiny sliver of the overall population that has an interest in spending money on this stuff. Well, a tiny sliver of millions and millions of people is, is a market, mm. uh, you know. And 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 it may not be the case that the same enough people exist in your area. The other dynamic that I have noticed over the course of time. Is that there's a certain cachet about how difficult something is to get your hands on. So, how far Windsor to Toronto is? What like four, four or five hours?
1: Uh, well, it's Windsor to London is the the territory. London's two hours, and uh, I also have an option to um, to have a temporary uh, license for uh, Detroit. Uh, so I can go to the Detroit market. There's no extra cost for that. But um, you know, the, then it's importing food into the United States, which well, can be-
0: <laughs> that, that's Maybe. a whole other kettle of fish.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. Is 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 getting to the border and, and you have to, I don't know if you'd have to get a, a, a customs broker involved because you're not talking about you know things made in Canada are covered under the free trade agreement, right? So if you've got things coming from different countries in Europe, you could have potentially have different paperwork. I don't know if, if the EU is all under one or if it's different for each country. I don't know.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know either. But uh, certainly uh, that's something that uh, can be overcome. Uh, the, the product would ship um, directly from Europe and land in Detroit. OK, uh, So I would have to, um, you know, figure that out. Right. And, so, uh, so
0: then it would be a question of you driving into Detroit to do work in the United States. Yes. So then you're talking about visa issues.
1: Yeah, um, I certainly am, yeah. And that's something that I haven't fleshed out, all of that stuff and all those moving pieces I haven't fleshed out, but it's an option. And it's certainly not where I intend to start.
0: Well, what what I was going to bring up is that if there are some people in Windsor that are into this stuff, part of the fact that maybe they have to go to Toronto to get it could be part of the, the cachet of, of having it. Right. I don't know. Um, do, so you haven't really seen much in the way of like, do you know what kind of revenue these guys are doing in their main operation?
1: Yeah, I don't know that, but what they, uh, told me is, um, is that I can expect to do 750,000 in the first year and probably the third year beyond the 150,000 plus. Uh, That seems very generous to me um, based on other franchise agreements that I've read where their minimum requirements were um, or their projections were much less in, in the first and second and third year. Um, but I, I haven't analyzed that. I haven't had uh, financial disclosure or anything uh, from them. So
0: uh, what, what you'll yeah. want to see from them is you're going to want to see what, you know, their average ticket looks like. So their, their average invoice. So if they're selling to restaurants, what, what are these restaurants? What, number one, what kind of restaurant is it? And what are they buying on a regular basis? And what are those? What does that look like? because you're going to want to see if there are similar types of establishments in your town that could become your customer. So if it's a, I don't know, like if it's a it's a French cuisine restaurant, for example, and they're buying $1,000 every week worth of stuff, then you're going to want to go and see how many places like that are in Windsor or in, in your territory, right? And and just because it's, it's not about, a lot of the times when people are trying to do sales forecasts, what they'll say is that, if you know, 2% of this city buys this stuff, then 2% of your city should buy it. But it doesn't work out like that. You can't just offer something for sale and have 2% of the people show up. You actually have to go knock on the doors, show them the product, convince them to stop buying whatever it is they're buying now, convince them to stop using their existing supplier so that they can come and try and buy it from you, right? And so there's that whole sales process where you could end up talking with someone several times over a, a period of time before they place their first order. And, and so it's, it's, you know, when we talk about a franchise, we're usually talking about a ready made business ready, set, go, here you go, do these things. What this is, is more of like a protected distributorship where, you know, you're gonna have to go out and get all the sales. They're going to take care of the supply. So the wholesale part of what you buy, um, you know, in, a, in, in normal business, like if there was just a company importing sausages from Italy or something who would sell to anyone, you could go buy those sausages and you could go find people that want to buy them from you and create a little distribution business, right? And that wholesaler, the sausage person you're buying from, they would just make a markup. They would make a profit that way. What what you're talking about here is you're talking about doing the same thing, except with none of the freedom that you would have reselling those sausages, because you would have to, you're going to use their brand name, you're going to agree to their rules, you're going to be paying a percentage of your revenue to them, right? It's it's a lot more constricted than what you would be doing if you just built up your own gourmet foods distribution business in your area, Mm -hmm. buying from anyone. And so do they want, like, if you start doing this with them, are you not allowed to sell anyone else's goods?
1: Um, I, I do believe that's the case, yes. Um, from what I read in the, uh, in the dealer agreement, and it was only a draft, uh, you know, the final one's going to come out in the new year. Uh, but um, yeah, I'll, you know, I have that exclusivity, but um, I have to devote my full time and attention to Uh, to this business um, just like in most franchise agreements
0: do do you know some of the names or manufacturers of the product that they are carrying exclusively
1: uh i do not right off the top of my head but i do and i've never heard of any of them Um, they have videos on youtube and whatnot
0: because one like to me the demand is really the thing you want to try to sample like figure out so i would You know, if they're selling in Toronto to, you know, restaurants of certain styles of cuisine, I would want to go and talk with a chef in a similar restaurant in Windsor and just go and say, hey, have you heard of these things? Would you be interested in buying these things? What? Because a restaurant in Toronto that's spending money on this very expensive cheese, they might be preparing meals for $100 a plate. But in Windsor, the same style of restaurant may only be able to prepare meals and, and have a clientele where they're at $65 a plate. So, the, so the, the re, what the restaurant is able to charge is going to dictate what goes in the other end, right, as far as their inputs. And that, you're talking about a discretionary luxury good. And so there's two schools of thoughts on luxury goods is that the people who are going to buy the expensive cheese are super wealthy people. They've got lots of money for all kinds of things. And whether the economy goes up or down, they're always going to have money for their cheese. Right. But how many of those people are there?
1: Right.
0: That, that, that is the, the issue. Right. Mm -hmm. So in your email, you had said that there's another angle that you're looking at along the same lines using the reefer van. Right.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if, if I have a reefer van uh, and I do not enter into this uh, agreement with them, um, you know, I can advertise my services uh, with a reefer van. Uh, you know, uh, delivering frozen and fresh food and uh, maybe even flowers and, you know, pharmaceuticals and, and things like that.
0: Okay. Are there any delivery services in town right now that offer refrigerated services?
1: You know, I can't find anything um, um, local that I'm talking about except uh, from the big purilers and uh, you know UPS and things like that. They advertise it. I've never seen it around. Um, but most of the reefer services are, are the big ones, not the final mile stuff. Right. Right, And and the big ones, they go to the grocery store and they, you know, upload their stuff there. Um, the final mile type, I, I can't find any.
0: So when something comes into town and it's, you know, coming in refrigerated with UPS or something like that, they're the ones delivering it to the end user? Or does the end user have to come to the depot?
1: Uh, they deliver it to the end user. Uh, Right. So you know vaccines for example, Perlator um, and UPS have been delivering the vaccines from place to place. okay
0: um, so the, the the issue with being a local company in that kind of business is how do you end up becoming the person that gets that work? Right right uh, The reason why these big companies have kind of dominated is because, they can serve from end to end and they use contractors. I mean, Federal Express is, is famous for having contracted route drivers and local delivery, especially in rural areas where they have independent people with their own vehicles making that last final mile delivery, as you say. the I know of one company here where I live that really seized an opportunity a few years ago because they they managed to get non-exclusive contracts with all of them on certain really um, sparsely populated routes through the countryside where they're going to carry Purolator, FedEx, UPS, like all the packages, they carry them all. Um, and there's not enough density for any courier to send their own truck in those areas. And so these guys have got it kind of cornered, but even with a the monopoly, they're not making tons of money because there's just not a lot of packages. right? So, um, how familiar are you with the whole ecosystem of career and delivery?
1: I'm not. Yeah. Um it's something I would have to uh, research vigorously. I have spoken to a few people. Uh, one in the craft beer industry, and he said there's a lot of craft brewers around here. Uh, seven that uh, opened recently, and, and you know they they don't have Reefer vans to move their stuff around, um, and they have difficulty. Um, couldn't rely on that for uh, you know, all the business, of course, but uh, there's just one example I know yeah. Uh, the medical stuff would be harder to get into because um, uh, it requires strict um, uh, supply chain custody, recording, reporting,
0: and security, yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, you know, somebody. Uh, hangs a shingle outside and says, you know, I can take your pharmaceuticals around and you can check them in afterwards. Uh, You know, it might be a little hard to convince them. I'd have to be plugged into that real-time monitoring of the temperature and I think have to have a reputation and whatnot. So it'd be a little more difficult. Um, But frozen food delivery, um, that's probably the the easiest. Um, And and I haven't done enough research. Um, If... If the numbers work out with this, uh, you know this this other company uh, that that's the uh, rare and precious foods, then um, you know that that seems like a, an obvious way for me to get in and learn all about that stuff. But of course, I you know I get to do all of the research, and I, I have not been disclosed the financials from them or anything yet.
0: Yeah, what in your imagination when you think about yourself in that business? Do you imagine yourself out there knocking on doors, making sales and driving the truck around and making deliveries?
1: I do at first, but, uh, you know, I want to grow uh, the business, not uh, not work in the business. Um, I, I, you know, can imagine that if I can uh, get the distribution stuff down for the USA, you know, I'm thinking starting there and uh, expanding. And Detroit's a fairly big city. Mm-hmm. Uh, right at my doorstep. Uh, if if I can solve that importing to the USA piece um, you know that expands the market uh, quite a bit and I'd have an advantage uh, because the um, the company doesn't do that right now and if I can crack that nut then that uh, leaves that opportunity open.
0: What I'm, uh, have you noticed any like delivery companies in Windsor that are, that are doing like couriers and packages in town?
1: Uh, plenty, but not reefer. Uh, in fact, when you, you know, you Google search and you, uh, you call around, you you can't find anybody that can do it. You can, you can find people that uh, have a, uh, a specialty reefer trailer business where they can go to a baseball game or something and uh, serve ice cream. and think you can rent that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, you can even rent from Enterprise a reefer van, you know, uh, for a couple of days to to do deliveries. Um, but uh, no, I, I can't find it. Um, I do know there is a company out of London that uh, makes a living just. Um, taking fish from uh, the fishing industry on Lake Erie and distributing it in London. And they have, I think, five ends.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and so the reason why I'm asking is a small local courier business would be kind of an accessible sort of business where you'd be able to find out who the owner or the manager is, and you'd be able to take that person out for beer and wings or lunch? and just talk with them. Right. And I would be asking them like, have you ever thought about getting a reefer van in your fleet? Why not? I'm, th- And then say like, if I got a reefer truck and I was able to make deliveries, do you think there'd be any work that you could subcontract to me? Would Do you ever get calls for people looking for this kind of service? You, you want to try and see what the demand is. You know, th- those fish guys, for instance, right? I mean, they they're in the business of, of moving fish. They happen to do it with refrigerated vans. Their business is the fish business. Right. And, and so they don't worry about how they're going to fill their vehicles. It's it's, they already know that Mm -hmm. the vehicles serve the the fish needs, right. Moving the product you are making, uh, you're going to be making an element or a resource available to the business community, the reefer van. And so you need to figure out, are there enough people that want that?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. It, are there, Is there going to be enough opportunity? Um, the fact that Enterprise has a reefer van, of truck that you can rent, right? So, so I know, you know, those little uh, fresh food delivery boxes with the recipe inside. There's a lot of these services now. They're competing. Um, I noticed a U-Haul truck coming on my street pretty regularly, and I thought it was I thought at first someone was moving and then I kept noticing it coming like all the time and stopping the same houses. And it was one of these fresh food delivery outfits. So they, they're, they're locally here. I don't know if it's them or if they just found a person who's doing the contract to deliver the last mile box, like box delivery. That person is just renting a U-Haul. Right. And they're, then they're delivering those fresh food boxes. Now, in the summer, the truck would be hot. In the winter, the truck would be cold. But I'm guessing that the boxes are only in the truck for like an hour or two.
1: Yeah, that's
0: correct. Right? So, so they probably don't really care about whether or not it's a you know, temperature-controlled vehicle or not. And so I'm thinking about you know the microbrewery. If if they're going to make a delivery and it's not going to take that long and they it's refrigerated at one end and it's going to go into someone else's fridge at the other end, do they, do they really care to maybe pay extra if they need to, to have it carried in a refrigerated vehicle? Yeah. And, and the guys at the brewery can answer the question for you. Like if you mm-hmm. go talk to them, they'll, te- they'll tell you if they would like to have that or not. Maybe they're the ones renting it from Enterprise.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I certainly take your point with the uh, local delivery guy in Wings uh and a beer and, and chat with them uh, that's definitely stuff i need to do uh, that type of market research
0: yeah um because there's there you know i'm just uh i'm thinking because i know i once worked on a fundraiser with some scouts making apple pies we made like 1500 pies over a weekend And one of the local trucking companies, it was in a church basement that we did all these pies and one of the local trucking companies dropped off a half length, like a 20 foot trailer, and it was a reefer freezer trailer and they dropped it off in the parking lot we were taking the pies and putting them in there and that's where they were freezing. And that little trailer, you know, they're probably not hauling on the highway that's probably being used for deliveries. You know, for for that trucking company mm-hmm. around town, because on the highway they would have like a full length, like a fifty three foot trailer. Right, so I think you need to explore the the transportation ecosystem a little bit more.
1: I do, yes,
0: and and this brings me to the next thing uh, with the franchise. Um, I think the sales have to come before the investment. So so I think that. If I were, like, if you learn more about this and you think there really is an opportunity, what what I would be looking at is saying, okay, first, I'm going to try to make sales. Even before I paid the franchise fee, I would try to go out there and make some sales and just see if there really are people that are willing to place orders with you. Right. And what's your, what's your personal vehicle right now?
1: Oh, I've got a, a 2018 Nissan Murano in good, good condition.
0: Does it have a hitch on it? No. Okay, you can get a hitch on it? I can. Yeah, so, so you know, initially, instead of buying a, what was it, $80,000 Transit Connect, mm-hmm. right? Instead of buying that, what you do is you put a hitch on your Nissan and you get, you know, something, a trailer, a trailer, Enclosed trailer from U-Haul for the days you need it, and you you put a deep freeze in there, or or something, right? Just so that you can put stuff in it and have it stay cold for a while, make your deliveries. And when you need the Transit Connect, then you invest in the Transit Connect. Because yeah. because you could you could identify a, several people in your market that want to buy this stuff and then you could discover that there's just no more. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that you can because you can't, you know, you have to knock on the doors, you have to make the sales, you have to build the business. I think you work on building the business before you make the big investments. Okay, and yeah. uh, you know, in that agreement if you are going to go forward with this distributorship franchise thing, I would want to make sure that, that there are loopholes to exclusivity. So for example, you know, if there is, like I mentioned the example, the sausage guy who brings in sausage from Italy or something, like if there are other opportunities for you to start carrying other lines outside of what these guys are selling, you want the door to open to that, or even for moving craft beer across town. But I wouldn't want to be paying those guys 6% of that revenue.
1: Right, absolutely not.
0: Yeah, I agree. Right, and so, so that then brings me to question the franchise model over simply a, a an exclusive distribution model. So, if if they said to you, you know, we'll give you exclusive rights to distribute our exclusive products in your area, and here's the price list, and they they just marked up the goods to make their profit and they let you control the end price yourself of what you were gonna do with no franchise fees. To me, that would be the ideal way to do it, right? What the, It makes me question what they wanna do. And, and I, I kinda of know what they wanna do. They want you to become captive to their goods so that if you aren't making enough money, you've gotta go out and try to peddle more of their stuff. Right? That they're, they're going to create the opportunity in the way or the fashion that's going to best benefit them.
1: Of course, yes. Yeah.
0: Right? And so what they're trying to do is pro- like they're trying to make money, but they're probably trying to increase their volume. Right? The, the more that they can buy, the maybe the better pricing they can get ultimately or the better shipping costs that they're going to enjoy, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, they're trying to build out their footprint so that they can move more. They might even be under pressure from their European suppliers who said, hey, we gave you exclusivity. We want to see you double the volume in the next year. Right. Right. We don't know what's going on there. And, or these guys could be saying, you, you, have, you have the rights for Canada, but you're only selling in Toronto. You know, what, what are you doing in Calgary and Vancouver and Halifax and places like this, right? And so, so these guys now are, are trying to grow I just wouldn't want to see you limit your opportunities. Because even if even if the opportunity to sell those high value goods isn't as good as you think, but you can piece a business together by also delivering the craft beer and you know, maybe moving some seafood or whatever else, other things you can do, and you can kind of build it into a business, especially to the point where you can pay someone else to drive the truck and you can be doing other stuff, then there, there could be an opportunity there. And I think this is the moment when you have the most leverage because they, you're the first franchisee. Like you, you mentioned that there seems to be inconsistencies in the agreement. Mm-hmm. franchise yeah. Franchise agreements can cost a lot of money to create, and you know that the franchise disclosure packages are very expensive. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if it's been like. A document that's been kind of like pieced and whittled together from other documents they've gotten their hands on. Maybe.
1: Maybe, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't assume that, but yeah, I don't know. Could be.
0: Yeah. What drew you to this? How did you come across this opportunity?
1: Um uh, you know it was just by accident I I happened to see a um a an ad for a specialty food store in 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 the small town south of Windsor where I live and and you know I just uh, was curious as to what specialty food was so did a little google search trying to find their their location and I just came across after you know a couple of links um this business and um and just so happened to be that, you know, they were advertising for uh, uh, franchisees, So I clicked that and learned a little bit more. And then I, uh, I, you know, drove up to their warehouse a, a couple of weeks later after talking to the boss and, um, you know, I wanted to look around and see what it actually looked like and, uh, you know, look somebody in the face and mm-hmm. ask them some pointed questions and whatnot. But uh, I, I certainly don't have, um, the financials, the uh, the the final version of the agreement. Um, I suspect that um, you know I do have a lot of leverage when it comes to negotiating because yeah, I'm the first. Uh, yeah. But also, I get the impression that um, you know the owners uh, they're more concerned about um, uh, the business than the details of the uh, you know the agreement. Um,
0: it's not uncommon for entrepreneurs to not be detail oriented. <laughs> <that is> right. <laughs> um, so this, this, so this is, so what's interesting to me about what your story is the specialty food store South of Windsor. So have you gone to that store? I have. Yeah. So you've seen the kind of stuff that they're selling in there. Mm-hmm. So one of the people that I would want to talk with before you got into this would be the owner of that store. And to to go and have a conversation with them and say, I'm looking at distributing these products in the area. You know, here's what the wholesale prices would be. Here's what the recommended retail price would be. Would you be interested in stocking any of this stuff in your shop? And what do you think about these retail prices? Do you think that you would have people that would want to buy this stuff at that price? And, And find out what they're saying because that retailer will be your, your customer.
1: He will, because, um, the, the food they're selling there is the exact type of food that, um, I'll be importing try and trying to sell. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And so, so the people that are shopping there, you know, number one, the, the retail store owner has to agree that he's willing to stock the stuff. He has to think that he can sell the stuff. Right. Then there's going to be the conversation about terms. We haven't even got into that part yet. So what he might say, or she, I don't know who owns it. What they might say is, um, yeah, I'd be more than happy to stock this stuff, but uh, I don't know if I can sell it. You're going to have to give me 45 days to pay. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. They could say something like that to you. And so then it opens up a whole other question. If you're going to be distributing and selling this stuff and you have to carry receivables, what kind of payment terms are you going to have with the people in Toronto? Right. Right. Because you could find that in addition to the, you know, the investment in the vehicle, in order to grow this business, you might have to invest in receivables. Right. Basically financing the activity, the inventory of the people downstream from you. Right. Restaurants are going to be more quickly turning over. But people like the retail store, I mean, you know, when I walk through the deli at my local grocery store, they've got all these different meats and salamis and things that, you know, in the counter. And, you know, some lady will walk up and say, you know, I'll take 100 grams of that. And they take it and they, you know, they measure it out and they, they shave it or weigh it or what have you. And I, and I look at that and I'm like, I wonder how long that sits there before it's sold entirely. You know, do they sell one of those big things every week or every few days, or does it sit there for three weeks, right? Because something like salami and cheese it's not going to go bad, right? This stuff is cured. Like it's it's literally made to be aged, to be preserved. And so if the shopkeeper says, yeah, we could sell that, but it'll take me months or it'll take me weeks, then it brings into question the volume. It brings into question... You know the receivables, the cash flow element of the business, and so you know the whole world of charcuterie and delis and all that kind of stuff. They've you know they've got their culinary history of all the food and stuff, but there's also like a, a, a certain business culture within that community that that you need to learn because mm-hmm. you're coming from the outside, right? right? And, and the only way that you're going to get a glimpse of it before you get into the business is by meeting these people and having conversations with them. And this is, this is all part of the research. And, and you can probably find all kinds of stuff on YouTube about meats and cheeses and salamis and, you know, that kind of stuff. People talking about the consumption of the product It's probably gonna be a little bit harder to find out about, you know, I don't know if there's anyone online talking about running a deli. If there is, that'd be a person you'd want to find, and maybe there's a blog, maybe there's a book. I don't know, but that's that's kind of the the narrow industry research that you'd need to do. That I would want you to do before you got into something like this.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure if I have one conversation with the owner of that um, that specialty food store, I would, you know, it'll lead to something else, which will lead to something else. Yeah.
0: And I would also want to go have the same kind of conversation with another specialty food store over in Toronto, who's already selling the stuff and find out what they say about these products.
1: Yeah. I'm going to put that on my list of things to do is go to the current customers and have a chat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because, because you'll, you'll want to find out what are the selling features? What are the reasons? What are the advantages? So, and they could be diverse. There there could be some people who say, yeah, I want to stock this good, this item because it's the best. Or, you know, you could be in, in, I mean, Toronto is extremely multicultural. It could simply be that in that part of Toronto, there's a lot of people with a heritage from a certain region in Europe. And the guy says, I want to carry it because it comes from that area of Europe. And there's an emotional thing that's going on that makes people want to choose it. Right? Right. And, and that's that's a very different reason why people are selecting. And it, it could work for that guy where he is with the people that are living there. It might not be the same impact
1: in other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Uh, all that stuff I, I certainly haven't um, delved into yet, um, but I, I will absolutely. And, and I appreciate yeah. that. That kind of stuff is critical
0: yeah mm-hmm. chefs, retailers deli people um, are these guys who are running the distribution business are they selling into any of the big flagged grocers or only into small specialty shops
1: i I don't know that yet um, it, It's unfortunate that i um, I have my interview here with you now and not another month from now um, but uh, certainly, I would know that kind of stuff by then. I have a better understanding, but um, that's the kind of stuff I have to to look out for. And, and in a lot of ways, I'm glad we're having it now so that I, uh, you know, get that holistic picture.
0: Yeah, I, because if they're selling into any of the big, you know, big three grocery chains, then then you'll want to know a few things. Number one, if a store manager or a deli manager in Sobeys or uh, Loblaws in Windsor wants to have that stuff, where is it coming from? Is it coming from you? Or does Loblaws want to distribute it from their own central warehouse?
1: Yeah, the way I read the agreement right now is, um, uh, yes, it would come from me, except for corporate accounts, right? Uh, right? And corporate accounts would probably be one of them.
0: Yeah, so I've seen I've seen this before. Um, so uh, a buddy I grew up with, his family is a Tim Hortons franchisee here in town, and they have multiple locations. And uh, so you would imagine that they're the only ones allowed to open Tim Hortons, but uh, they're not. <laughs> so uh, Tim Hortons at one point years ago, signed an agreement with Esso, allowing Esso's to serve Tim Hortons coffee. So these guys had the franchise territory they thought that they owned and controlled Tim Hortons here in town and only to have these other coffee counters open up in town in Essos that they didn't control. And so that's, that's the corporate account kind of exclusion. Right. And um, these are all the things you want to know and understand. Like, and that's why I'm kind of cautious on the whole franchise thing because it gives them a, a, an element of control over you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you said like, this is a complicated agreement, how, we, how about we just do an exclusive distributorship and I'll buy stuff from you and I'll resell it. Simple. But then it opens the door for you to be doing it with other products too. Right. Right. Because... I mean, let's think about it this way, that specialty food guy uh, south of, of Windsor may want to buy some meats and cheeses that are coming through this company that uh, you're going to buy from. But then maybe you attend a big food trade show and you find someone, you know, from out of town that makes the world's best sausage, you know, and they're looking for a distributor in the Windsor area. Right. Right. You could be distributing that and selling it to that same specialty food guy south of Windsor. You could end up with a real business where you have more than one supplier and you've got many customers and you are no longer sort of captive to that one vendor. That's what the franchise agreement is meant to do. It's meant to keep you tied to them and them only, which, which, you know, in the long term of things, um, if, if you only represent one line of product, you, your business's value that you're going to spend time building is always going to be stunted because of the supplier concentration problem. Mm -hmm. But if you are representing several brands and have a multitude of suppliers to the point where if you lost one, you could weather it. Well, then you're going to build business with real goodwill and your efforts in building this up over time are going to yield more for you at the end you're going to get a higher multiple in the cash flow when someday down the road you want to exit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you know, the more we talk about it, uh, the more attractive that, uh, that option is. Um, And that's something I can negotiate uh, with them and, and being the very first, uh, I think has some leverage. Mm -hmm. Um. I obviously have to do more research, which I intend to do. I'm not finished yet. I barely started. Um, yep. So, you know, more to follow on that. Um, but I but do- I'll,
0: I'll, I'll tell you, Richard, the one advantage you have is that I've seen people get into this kind of opportunity for all the wrong reasons. So uh, the, the biggest one that comes to mind is the chef that opens the restaurant. Right. Because they love food and they love to cook food and they get into it because of food, not because of business. And, and this kind of business could have the same trap for someone who's a real foodie into, into this kind of stuff to want to get into this business because they want to have something related to their, um, to their interest in the product. And you're mm-hmm. coming at it from a business point of view. And I think that's an advantage for you.
1: Yeah, I've read the e-myth as well. And, uh, you know, that's uh, they talk about that exact same thing. You know, most small business start out with the technician and uh, the entrepreneur, uh, the business side, just uh, they fail because of that. Um, so I'm hoping, yeah, you're right, that I I, I feel like I am. And, uh, you know, I, I'm here to grow. Um, Got to start somewhere, but I want to grow it. And that, that's what I'm looking at and concentrating on. Yeah. Uh, You know, before we run out of time and I forget, I do want to ask you one thing. Uh, And you may not be able to um, answer this because you don't know my personal circumstances uh, very well. But um, what do you think about uh, incorporating or sole proprietorship for something like this?
0: Oh, in Canada, 100 percent. You always want to be incorporated. Okay. Yeah. No question. Um, Simply because um, it's so cheap. (laughs) I mean, even if you hire a lawyer to do it all for you, it's still going to be like 12 or 1500 bucks and it's going to create a separate entity. Um, If you talk to an accountant, they're going to say that it only makes sense after a certain period of time when you've gotten to a certain size, they're only looking at it from a tax point of view, not a liability point of view. I mean, especially handling food. I mean, if you delivered something that ended up poisoning somebody, Right. It doesn't matter who made it. Like they're going to sue everyone that they can think of up the chain.
1: Yeah. And I thought about that. Um, and yeah, I agree. That's why I'm, uh, you know, I prefer incorporating for that reason, liability. Yeah. Um, now, in the, uh, in the agreement, they have uh, you know, a requirement to sign as a guarantor. Mm hmm which kind of uh, takes away some of the personal liability. I haven't talked to a, a lawyer about that yet, but uh, I am concerned about, you know, causing a problem, getting sued and then uh, being on the hook as a guarantor.
0: So, so that guarantee is, is a guarantor to the franchisor. So, so the reason that it's there is they want to be able to sue you personally if there's any kind of difficulty between you and them that that isn't the same as if like a customer tried to sue your business. It's not the same kind of thing. However, why are they going to want to sue you? Right. It's from my experience, franchisors go after franchisees when, when something happens, like if you close before the end of your agreement, they sometimes they can sue you for what they estimate to be the royalties that you would be paying until the end of the agreement, right? So what that means is that they actually want to kind of hold a gun to your head, saying you have to carry on this business as long as the agreement says, and if you close early, even if you're failing, we're then going to sue you over it. Like you just you put yourself in such a position of of uh, being under their thumb. Mm-hmm. It's it's not good and. And well, while you're the first, I mean, that would be the place where you could say, like, I am not. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. I'm not signing that. I don't want this. I don't want this. And you can say, hey, guys, how about we just do an exclusive distributorship? And I'll just buy from you and I'll resell and I'll have my own customers. and And we'll put your name on my van, but it'll be my name carrying products from these guys. Right. Kind of like kind of like how you walk into the gas station, they say, we sell, you know, this brand of oil, right? That, you know, they're just distributing a product that comes from somebody else. That, that would be the way that I would say would be the best for you. And, you know, do you know how long they've been trying to find franchisees?
1: I think just a couple of weeks or maybe a month. Okay. Not long at all. Uh, and I don't know what the level of interest has been, um, but uh, but certainly you know I have a list of concerns uh, with this. Um, you know I, I need to talk to a lawyer about it as well. Um, yeah. uh, you know after speaking with the people, they're uh, they're really nice. I, I think they're genuine business people who just want to expand, um, and I'm sure they'll be open to anything that's reasonable. Hmm.
0: Well, I, I I think that if you approach it from the idea of, you know, sales come first, the investment and everything else comes after. See how far you can grow it. Maybe you can be the one of the guys who rents that enterprise reefer truck one day a week to drive to Toronto, get the goods, and come back and make your deliveries until you need one full time, right? Um, and build it up until you, it makes sense for you to make the investment. Yeah, I think that'll be the key to, to making this thing go. Um, And it all starts with sales. So talk, talk with the chefs, talk with the deli owners, the people that know this business and just find out who's buying it. What is the appetite? What is the volume? Like Um, you could hear some very surprising things, Mm. you know, it, it may surprise you to the upside or the downside. What, what stuff that you learn.
1: Yeah, my mind's completely open. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to talking to some of their customers in Toronto or wherever else they have them, and 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 getting their opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, best of luck, Richard. Anything else uh, as we wind up here?
1: No, that that was everything. I exceeded my expectations. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, I feel confident uh, in the next few steps, and um, and hopefully I'll make a, a good decision.
0: Awesome. Well, let me know what happens. I'll be, I'll be curious to know. Okay. Send me an email and um, let me know how it goes and and have a, have a happy new year and a great
1: holiday season.
0: Okay. Same to you. Thanks.
1: All right. Bye-bye. See ya.